Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Scott. And I'm here with a French Canadian. Yes, we are here with our very favorite French Canadian. And for those of you on YouTube, this will all be subtitled for your advantage. Christian speaks many languages and has been around the world. In fact, I would submit that he's going to be one of our best traveled podcast guests. So we look forward to hearing all of his travels around the globe. So thank you, Christian, so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Scott, for having me. And uh, yes, I do speak multiple languages and have an accent in all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Which is perfect. So there's some fun backstory on Christian. So Christian was actually one of the first members of the Expedition Portal Forum. And Christian has been an executive and one of the owners of originally Expeditions West and now Overland International that runs Overland Journal and Expedition Portal and all of that. And there's a little bit of a fun story. So I was down in Amato for the Overland Expo and I had known Christian for many years. We had done some work together at events in Hollister and some other things. Christian walks up to me very thoughtfully and he says, Scott, I just want you to know that I think I'm going to start my own forum and I'm going to call it Overland Portal. And I just remember sitting there for a second, realizing here's this guy who's far more traveled than me and and a technologist like I was at the time and true entrepreneurial spirit. I responded with, well, instead of you doing it on your own, why don't we do it together? And that started a series of conversations that led to us partnering up on Expedition Portal and making it the best that we could. And and that has been 15 years, if you can believe it, that we've been working on this. So for those of you who enjoy the Expedition Portal Forum, Christian has been a key component of that as our chief technology officer from the very beginning. So if you've got anything that you need fixed on the, we'll provide his email address at the end of, at the end of this episode. We're going to take a brief break and we will be right back. This week's episode is supported in part by iCamper. They make innovative hard shell and soft-sided roof tents that are designed to survive long-term overland use. Their revolutionary X-Cover won the Overland Journal Editor's Choice Award, eliminating the bulky PVC cover and also allowing for the fitment of crossbars for carrying bikes and kayaks. Their SkyCamp Mini is another award-winning design that provides a hard shell tent in the footprint of a much smaller clamshell model. This is the perfect solution for smaller vehicles or on vehicles where rack space is dedicated to other systems. iCamper believes that the best times are those spent traveling, discovering the world with those you love most. You can find out more about their quality tents at iCamper.com. So some fun history with Christian. That's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about you as the traveler. So kind of give us some background on where you grew up in Canada and what first got that travel bug started for you? Uh, yes, I'm from Quebec. I'm from a small town near Quebec City called Montmagny. I'm sure very few of you guys have heard of it. And I was talking with Scott about this before the, the, the podcast. You know what? The initial trigger when I was in high school, we had, we did an um, exchange, like a student exchange. Mm. Kind of, It's kind of a long story, but essentially we traveled all the way up north in Quebec in a small village called Ivo Hivik. First nation there, like really, really remote. It's technically, I think, the northern northernmost village uh, in Quebec. And so when you're like 14, 15, and then you go there and you come from your small environment, you really haven't seen too much. You get there and you see such a different world. You know, even though it's the same province, it's the same country as yours, but then you realize, wow, you know, the, the, the way that people are living and, and and the experiences that they have and everything, such a shock and in a good way. You know, it was, yeah. it was, it was very, uh, yeah, it was very interesting. And I remember it was also very kind of, I don't know if shocking is the right term, but the way it was, we'll work is we're paired with someone local. So we'll spend, you know, a few weeks living in the family. And then Incredible. Uh, it was supposed to be a match like, you know, a guy with a guy, Yeah, but it didn't really, the, the count wasn't there. So two of us got matched with two women. 
there. Yeah. And we went to live in our family. And then, but we became really good friends with all those people, you know, after a few weeks. The other second part of the, of the trip was then they will come to our town. So cool. And I always remember like, it's been like many years now, but I was in high school and when they all came in high school, like everyone was so, it was such a different vibe because they had never seen like First Nation people in our high school. And for us, they were our friends. So we, sure. There was no more, you know, difference or there was no more. This whole, I don't know, this whole experience kind of really, really set up the tone for the next 30 years of my life. And when we talked about the experience you had with the First Nations people, one of the things that we, we discussed was they're so happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I've experienced that around the world. And so have you, Matt, is that day to day in North America, we are just surrounded by people that just aren't very happy. Mm. Yeah. They sometimes have so I'm much. not very happy. Yeah, yeah sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not even a negative thing to say that someone's not happy. It's just an awareness that happiness does not correlate to possessions yes. at all. Yeah. And happiness, even very rarely after your basic needs are met, correlates to wealth either. So there's a lot of very unhappy, wealthy people. Mm-hmm. But I have certainly seen many more happy people in their original communities, in their country of origin, living their life the way that their ancestors lived, they are just filled with joy. They're laughing and playing and the kids are all running around and the families are close. Yeah. I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, modernity has actually given Mm -hmm. us much advantage as humans. Apple TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Has that really helped? Has it really helped anything? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, it's a very, it's a whole different discussion. It's a very topical topic. It is. In that case, I would agree with you. I don't think that any of the things that they have now, the possession or the yep. newer homes or the snowmobiles or whatever, I don't think that really brought more happiness than- I don't think it has. Than, and that's yeah. the beauty of travel. And that's the beauty of you having that experience so young in life. You started to really question of like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what is out there? What, what else is out there to experience in the world exactly. that, you, that you have no idea about that you would feel totally new as a new experience for yourself? What came next? You went to school and you, you ended up getting a degree. Talk yeah. about your education. and Yeah. So I went to school. So actually, when, what came next? Yeah, I, I went to school in Quebec as a civil engineer. So I studied to be a civil engineer. And then what came after that is I heard about people doing this kind of volunteer program in West Africa. So right after college, you could spend, I think it was like a three or four months training different aspects of of volunteering work. And so I did that with a few friends and then I went to West Africa. And what was the first country? What was the first country? Mali. So we came down to Mali and Bamako. For different reasons, I ended up working in Burkina Faso. Okay. And I got transferred to Burkina Faso and then we worked there for over a year uh, building wells, all kind of remote villages and all kind of places. And so I got to travel all through West Africa at that time. It was phenomenal. And I remember telling me the stories. You're in West Africa. You're there as an engineer to help build out water infrastructure for the villages. And you were driving the engine there, they had, or the company there had Chevrolet pickups. Yep. You felt like you got to experience Africa fully because you broke down in every village. And so you were able, you were able to, exactly. to like really soak up the experience of the country. Exactly. I mean, I, I know you, 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 you drive a Chevrolet now. You have I a do. Chevrolet truck, I, so we should be careful. Do, right? <laughs> so far, so far it's been flawless, but I think yeah. back then, I think in the early nineties, they weren't so great. Well, yeah. I don't was, know, man, if this guy can break a small block Chevy. <laughs> I don't know if I want him driving my yeah, car. Yeah, and, and, and to be fair, you know, they had, so this, they had came from a different project. I think that was in Benin or some other country and they had shipped the truck over to us. We had three or four of those. And so that must have been late 90s, I guess, mm-hmm. 97, 98. And they were like 1500. They were like, you know, the light duty trucks and sure. they were being abused a lot. So we had one, we had to keep one truck. I remember that. We had one in the yard that was almost brand new and it was just for the parts. Oh, sure. that truck for spare parts because there was no spare parts at sure. all over there. And then, but then, yeah, 
yes, to your point, so many times, like I will drive because what happened is our team that we're doing the drilling, they will camp in the bush you know, every day, every night, and they will go from one village to another. And my job most of the time was to drive from our base camp and then find them somewhere and then bring them supplies because they will always need like some water or some special stuff for the wells and, and all kind of material. So, um, so I would drive a lot in these trucks. Sure. And most of the time in places that were very hard to find because they were not really on a, on a map or on the main road. And then I remember that like the, the villagers, the local people would have a name for the village, but it would be a different name than the map. It would be <laughs> sure. a different name than the, the report, you know, where they were supposed to be. So we end up driving in circle, you know, everywhere. And GPS would have just started. Yeah, we had no GPS. We had only paper. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was Amazing. No cell phone, nothing. When you think, when I think back about it, it was a little bit crazy to send, you know, a couple of like, you know, young Canadians you know, over there with, with no. <laughs> but you're so no nice. You're so there. nice. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember like a few times coming back on the back of a moped, like there would be like a, someone local with a small moped with a rack in the back. And then I would say, well, can you take me back to the first phone? And they would drive <laughs> yeah. me even a few hours to the phone where I could call the base and they would come pick me up the next day. Well, and that's kind of what started your love of Land Cruiser. So yes. you started to use Land Cruisers in Africa and you realized like this is the right tool for the yeah. job. So there was a couple of things that happened. So we had those trucks and I remember where we were, there were very few expats or very few foreigners. And I remember there was those two guys that showed up one day out of the blue and they were actually from a small town near my town in Quebec because they come from a long family of, of drilling. Okay. Father, grandfather, and they are very well known for drilling and they were there to do gold. Okay. So they were pretty much on their own looking for gold and they had an old beat-up land cruiser that had like half a million miles and they didn't even care. They were just driving this thing everywhere and I was like, I was a bit jealous. You know? I was like, okay. That sounds like a reality TV show. Yeah, actually, yeah, it was before, yeah. yeah. And then the the final, I think the final trigger was when I, I went to my friend's wedding in Dakar in Senegal and I remember also very clearly in my mind I saw, I met this French guy and he had just arrived from Paris driving an FG40 with a low top 10. And I was like, to me at the time, that was the coolest thing in the world. Like, there was nothing else you could do that was more cool than driving an FG40 across the Sahara. Like, it still is. It still it's is. Probably still is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, this is going to be my life now. <laughs> it has been pretty much, yeah. You're drilling in the wells. How long did you do that for? And then where did you travel to next? So that, that was about a year, more or less. Then I came back. Then we did like Vancouver, like the West Coast, you know, a few things here and there. And then I came in the U.S., Almost by accident, very, very, very quickly, I got a job offer one day. I was working in Montreal. Um, our company went down the, the day before Christmas. Oh. It was a small startup. Very nice guys. One of my best friends. And then we got a memo on, on the 20th second. <laughs> party's, party's over. Yeah, party is over. And then uh, maybe a month after I got a call and I moved to California, made a bit of money. And then my only dream was to go back and travel. And then that's how we ended up buying the truck in Australia. So a couple of times in my life, I took yeah. sabbatical. And when off. was Australia for you? That was... So that must have been too tired. 2000, 2002 or something like that. And where did you buy that? Bought that in... Bought in Sydney. Sydney. How much you want to talk about? Yeah, let's talk about it. Of course. To me, I mean, after Africa and after all those experiences, it was clear that the Land Cruiser was the best option. And the best Land Cruiser was a troop carrier. Sure. And the best place to find one was in Australia. Okay. So we just did two plus two. And then we're like, well, let's go to Australia and start our trip there. So we did that. We flew into, well, actually, technically, we started in New Zealand. So we spent some time in New Zealand and then we went and I bought a truck pretty much on scene and then started driving. What did you experience in New Zealand? I I ask people a lot about New Zealand because I've never been there. Oh. And it's one of those places that I so want to 
go. Have you been, Matt? Oh yeah, yeah. I want to move. Okay, that's right. <laughs> no, I, I did that's know that. Our backup plan. You're right. I did. I did yeah. remember that. You told me, that, Scott. It's really my really only cool. plan B is New Zealand. However, that looks lush green landscapes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Black sand beaches. Yes. And alpine mountains, yeah. all within about ten minutes of each other. Yeah. New Zealand's great. I'll really do, big I'll, fan. I mean, anything outdoors. He fishing. And you enjoyed it. I love loved it. Yeah. I, Were you traveling with Persephone at this yes. time? Yes. Okay. Because so, so she's been on all these adventures. She has you. been on a lot of those adventures for sure. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have. Well, that's one thing also that I realized throughout the years. I mean, everyone is a bit different, but for me, I really like to experience something with either a friend or my partner. You know? yeah. yeah. Kind of hard to just keep all that for yourself. You know, I've, I've done some travel sometime by myself. I was like, ah. You just turn into a drunkard. I mean, that's what happens. <laughs> really what happens. Yes, 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 yes. No, you end up in some... You meet somebody at a hostel. Yeah, and exactly. Three in the morning, six days later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that, true. That happened to me in Africa, actually, when I was traveling and this guy, um, so, so I was trying with one of my friends from Quebec for a long time. But then after Egypt, he wanted to go to Iran. And so I met a guy in Egypt and we traveled, an American guy, and we tried to travel together. But then we got to the border of Syria. He didn't have a visa. Oh, no. So I remember like, can I have to go? I have my truck and my visa. And it's like, the guy was super nice. He's like, yeah, I can't go with you. We just kind of split. Mm. And I did and I did all of Syria by myself. And that was right before Arab Spring. Oh, wow. You know, like it was a few months before the whole thing. You know, oh, my gosh. I remember crazy. that now. Yeah, yeah. I was very, I mean, at the time I didn't know. I mean, you could tell there was something a little bit Some strange, tension, you know, yeah. and yeah. there's like, picture of the name again but, uh, Assad Assad and yeah. picture of him everywhere and you're like it's a bit kind of strange you over know, the you, top yeah. yeah over the top you know I remember being in this Damascus this guy really and, likes himself yeah you know, I remember going to um, a ca- internet, internet cafe in, in Damascus and then you know they ask for your ID and they watch you know everything you're typing and stuff he was kind of, it was kind of bizarre you know you yeah. could tell that that was not really sustainable for us yeah the situation but but yes yeah, so I did all that by myself so I don't really have you know anyone to share all of those things you know at, at the time I feel like you're also pushing yourself more when you have someone with you like if i go to, if we go travel together kenya or New yeah or whatever we're going to be pushing you'll know, be more adventurous a little bit further yeah, yeah. for sure for sure for that's sure. true let's go back to australia so yes. you you find this troop carrier in sydney and where did you guys go in australia we took the trucks which again i'm thinking back now and maybe a bit crazy but the truck was perfect because it was diesel two tanks a long range had a popped up it was mm-hmm. a trekker conversion yep. yeah the tracker ones are yeah. sweet there's a couple of ones in the u.s now i think there i've are. been yeah. talking with a few people who bought some from oh yeah so um but it was fairly old it was even back then so we took it in from Sydney all the way along the, co- along the coast to Cape York. We did the famous, you know, Cape yeah. York that everyone was talking about, which was awesome. It was still, it was beautiful. And it was right before, I guess, the summer there, which is the season where people don't travel. Okay. Because I remember after Cape York, we drove from Cape York across to Perth. Okay. So we did the entire, like the... Diagonal sure. Travis of Australia. And I remember stopping in a pub, in an Outback pub somewhere in Queensland, I think it was. The guys were like, yeah, you guys are last client this season because we had to shut down because it gets too hot after that. Or sure. rainy, I think, maybe. I Probably both, yeah. Probably both, yeah. And because I remember the guy was like, yeah, we always see a couple of crazy Frenchy you know, season. <laughs> Germans and French. <laughs> yeah, Germans and French. So that was us. Uh, so yeah, so we drove all the way there and then to Alice, Alice, Alice Springs. Alice Springs, sorry. Uh, in the middle and then from there to Perth. So cool. Yeah, that was very nice. And then we shipped. Like, then our visa had expired. I forgot the Nostra. I think they give you like it's three months or six months. I forgot the sure. days, but it had expired. And so we shipped the truck from there to then. Durban? Durban, Durban yeah. yes, in South Africa. That's yeah, the yeah. There. That's the place to yep. ship it into. Yep. And, and then we kept the truck. Initially, the tout was to take the truck and then drive across Africa. But we ended up packing it so much there that we kept the truck there for years. Yeah. And for it's like stunning. Years. We keep the truck. Our friend has, uh, has a ranch in near Pretoria and we're just flying out with the truck and go to Namibia and Zambia and Mozambique, Abuja and all over for years until eventually then I got the time in front of me, a mine from Montreal and then we drove out across Africa. Talk to us 
about our your route up Africa? So we went, so we left from Cape Town. We actually went again, you know, sometimes some memories, right? Are more, stays more vivid in your mind. But I remember like we went to Cape Town and then we met a guy there from the local Land Cruiser. So we spent a few weeks at his, at his shop, building the truck, fixing up some stuff on the truck. And, and then we drove, we kind of did the official start of the trip. So we went down to Cape. Agolas? Um, yeah, at the bottom, you know where it's- Agolas, uh, yeah. Like the northern, I guess it's the northern. It's the southern the, the most southern point. point. Uh-huh. And I remember it was so windy that- when It's it got, crazy windy there. We, we one of the door and Land Cruiser kind of snapped open. Oh no. Broke the engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's super windy there. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, that might not be the best way to start the trip, but that's okay. <laughs> so we fixed the door and then we started going up to Namibia. Then I crossed uh, to Botswana. I love Botswana. Botswana is phenomenal. That's on my list. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right, Max. Matt. You're, yeah. you're ready to go there. I so think, you went into Maun and then yes, explored the yes, Okavanga Delta. Yes, and- yes. And I was going to say, I think if you want a good initiation for Africa, that Botswana might be the, one of the best places to start. I would agree. It's super safe. Super safe. Super wild. I mean, yep. it's just very remote, Beautiful. packed with animals. Yeah. Beautiful campsites. Yes. Super incredible. Organized. So you can fly to Johannesburg and get a truck from there and then drive into Botswana yep. in the day, I think, you're at the border. Easy. And then, yeah. So I, so I, yeah, we loved it there. And then, then I crossed to uh, Zimbabwe, which was awesome too, because we were there, we're in Zimbabwe. And, and this is what I like about trading because those type of things, you can't really, you can't really plan those kind of type of no. thing. But we got into Zimbabwe right after they had switched the currency to the US dollar <laughs> because it was like the inflation was through the roof. It was also a kind of a wild time because that's where they had all those um, kicked out all the white farmers. Oh, sure. In Zimbabwe. So there was a kind of a bad, it was a little a bit of challenging bad time. time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember like very clearly seeing like burn, you know, buildings on the side of roads, you know, houses yeah. and stuff. And it was, it was, but at the same time, it was also very interesting to talk with the people because they had not been many tourists for years. Kind of a scary place, obviously. And pretty much the first stories going back. I remember going to some lodges there that they were not even open. The guy was like, yeah, you guys can stay if you want, but we don't have anything. Like, yeah. Well, that's fine. We have everything in our trucks. We have supplies. And sure. Yeah. I mean, they gave us like super nice cabins, front lake, you know, and, <laughs> sure. and, and it was awesome. But yeah, those type of experience, you know, they really stay with you. Yeah, they for really sure. Like, yeah. And then from Zimbabwe, then we, we did the kind of more traditional East Coast route, uh-huh. uh, Mozambique, northern Mozambique, which Sadly, I think now has some issues. I don't know if you can travel too much there anymore right now in northern Mozambique. But and that's why we did the famous crossing on the with the truck no, Scott, over, over the river, river yeah, over the river where they bring those canoes, and that was also quite wild because by that by that point you're kind of in a no man's land because your exit of Mozambique, but you're not yet in Tanzania, so your border, your passports, everything has been sent out. <laughs> yeah. You spend the night there, and in the morning you see those guys coming with wood pirogs, and the first thing you know, after a few hours, they can assemble this like very 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 dodgy raft together and you just drive your truck on to this raft and then you cross the river over to to Tanzania. <laughs> so awesome. That was cool. And it's also, so Matt and I last night was, were talking a lot, you know, about our next adventure. And, and this to me is an example as to why I will never have an expensive vehicle on a trip because when we were there, we actually kind of assessed the risk and we're like, yeah, there's a there's a probably a good 25% chances we won't make it across the river and the truck is going to end up at the bottom of the river. Yeah. And so I was like, well, you know, back, I mean, now it's different, but back then I had paid like 1000 for the little carrier. So I was like, well, worst case, I'm losing $12,000, but I'm not yeah. losing 50 or Yeah, or the people who go over there with a quarter million dollar vehicle yeah. that they still make a payment on. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Terrifying, that, that, terrifying. That, that, that's crazy. So so I think, I, I guess you can still do it. I'm not saying don't do mm-hmm. it, but you just won't be able to push the limits and do some more adventurous stuff like that. It's sure. a very expensive vehicle or a very heavy vehicle or a very rare vehicle. What other lessons did you learn like that on the trip across Africa where you started to recalibrate yourself as a traveler? Yeah, so one thing I, I've done, which is going to sound a bit strange sometimes, I've got 
into countries sometimes without even having, you know, a book or nothing. I would show up at the border and just figure out everything from there. And it's very, and I, I do it on purpose. Like, like, like sometimes I would plan a trip and you get all the books before or whatever. And some of the time I'm like, just going to wing it and see what happens. And now, especially now with, you know, social media and everything, it's usually quite easy to find out what the best, you know, what best attractions are or whatever. It might even be better because you've got totally current data. Yeah. Also, also, and you have, it's forced you to ask people also ask questions to people and interact with people more instead of being in your phone or in, or in your, but back then we didn't really have, I mean, we had the website. I think I had a blog I was publishing and I, mm-hmm. oh man, what was the blog called? I remember reading that when I was like, yeah, what yeah, was your blog? Two around the world. Yeah, that's yeah. it. In kind of me and Persephone. Yeah, and back then blogs, I don't know that blogs are still that popular now. I think they've kind of been replaced by Instagram. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, and now TikTok, I guess. Yeah. yeah, but back then that was a big thing. You know, you will you will write a blog and then post your pictures there. Yeah. So that was uh and then we had we, we did we did have a GPS though, to be fair. We had uh tracks for Africa. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, that was great. That was great. I find mostly in town when you had to go to your, you know, you drive all day and then you're trying to get to your hotel yeah or place in town in Nairobi uh, and then at least the GPS would take you there because most of the time the streets don't have names and the like other that. thing I really liked about tracks for Africa is you can see that this is the main road to get wherever you're going which you can just take that that's fine yes but oftentimes you'll see this other route and it kind of goes around the mountain and then there'll be like some like skull and crossbones over there <laughs> where there was where there was a carjacking or whatever and then there's a and there's it says waterfall and, yeah, and then I so like tracks for Africa yeah, it's I think hugely, they're one of the best like just maps for overlanders like almost a shame we've never seen anything like that in the u.s yeah yeah you know i, mean, yeah, we, I guess maybe they're starting to get closer with onyx and stuff but yeah it's not yeah. it's certainly not at the level it's not of like a curated map that's true yeah you know yeah and i still like a good oh map. yeah no totally because you use tracks for africa in namibia right yeah Matt, when yeah, you I did that namibia, big trip and then we used it in tanzania oh yeah because yeah you just did your trip Trip yeah. To Tanzania. yeah. So, so you're all, you got Africa, I, I like Africa on the mind. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of reminded me of HEMA, I guess. Yeah. yeah. For sure. For, for Australia. Yeah. I mean, they've both been, been around for a long time now. They have. Yeah, kind of like the reference for sure for Field Tracks for Africa. It's been, yeah. It just gives you a lot more confidence yeah. to go check out something totally different, which is yeah. cool. It gets you yeah. off the beaten track. Yeah. But uh, going back to lessons, though, I was thinking about your question. I think the other thing also is border crossing. You know mm-hmm. how border crossing is always a hot topic, right? Everyone loves sure. to talk about their border crossing experience. There's always, yeah, there's always interesting stories. But I think one thing I've, I've learned over the years is just to go with the flow there. And try to fight. I've yeah. seen so many people getting stressed out even before getting to the border. They read X, Y, Z things. And as long as you have your paper, you know, in order, usually, fine. You know, you may have to wait a bit longer, but we never really had any, especially in Africa, we really had any. I must say also, we got a bit lucky in a way though, because when we, when we did that trip, it was not longer after the, the long way up. Okay. Long way down, long way up. Long way down. Long way yeah. down, sorry. And, and they remember some of the crossing, like they had stickers and stuff and they remember seeing like the bikers and sure. all the crew and everything. So they, so many of them were a little bit like more aware of what we're doing. That also makes it. Like, yeah, you have, you have, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi comes through your, yeah, exactly. through your, <laughs> through your border crossing. You don't forget that anytime yeah, yeah. soon. <laughs> yep, exactly. I, I would say the only one that, uh, and I, I was telling Matt also last night about this, the only one that was, that will always stick in my mind was the Egypt one from Sudan to Egypt because, um, and I think there's still no road. There, I mean, there is a road, but it's a military road just for convoy. So you have to go on the lake and it's yeah, Lake Nassar. That's right. The way it works. And again, that's where the lesson of going with the flow is very important because the way it worked, and I could talk about this for hours, but the way it worked is that you will have to leave your truck there because the, the, the trucks will go on a barge, but you will go on a ferry. So, so I remember like being on a ferry and seeing my truck on the shore in Egypt and leaving the keys to some 
local fixer, essentially. Yeah. Like just pray that the truck is going to show up the next day or the next couple of days after, because it was, I think, a day and a half to get. Uh, it's a long, it's a long it's passage. A long, it's a long yeah. passage for sure. So you get there, you go to your hotel, and then if you're in luck, the next day or the day after, the <laughs> truck is going to show up. But, and, and again, another reason not to have an expensive truck, right? Because yeah. who knows what's going to happen? It's totally. Free. You never know. In our case, it was kind of, it was quite funny because there was, there were three of us, it was five of us, three with motorcycles and two with trucks. So um, a defender and our land cruiser and, and the three guys with the motorcycle managed to convince the captain of the ferry of the ship passengers to put the bikes on that ship. But they could only go so far inside the ship. So they, they could only go where kind of like the main entrance of the ship was. Yeah. And they put all three bikes there. And they were so excited because they were like, oh, as soon as we get to Egypt, when to be out, I'm going to be leaving, when I keep you know, driving up to Germany. They were from Germany, I think. Damn, that's not what happened. When we got there with the ferry, it became this giant chaos because there were hundreds of people wanting to get off the, the, the boat. And the custom in Egypt will ask people to stay on the boat. Everyone ended up being cramped over those three bikes. Like I remember like there was like thousands of people like all over the bikes and then everyone yelling and then trying to get the bikes <laughs> out and getting and to get away of those bikes to get out. And then it took about five days to get all our paperwork in order in Egypt because you have to get local driver license, local plates. You have to actually go with the custom guide to the local police station and get all that. I mean, it was, it's a very demanding experience. Was Egypt worth it for you? I get to that. I know for these guys it wasn't because the, the biker guys actually yeah. left after us. It got so bad. It got so bad with the custom guy. They wouldn't talk to anyone. The custom told me, I, uh, I will only talk to you. You're going to bring the papers and everything. I don't want to deal with any of those guys because they were too impatient and they were yelling. And uh, Another lesson. I, I was going to use a word that might not be good for the podcast. So. <laughs> That's okay. Paula can bleep it out or moo it out. Okay. And change it. But yeah, no, it was, it was a circus. Let's say it was a big circus. Then Egypt. So the thing, I don't know. Again, I don't know if how many, I don't know if there are people from Egypt, but I liked some part of it. I just felt it was a bit of a tourist trap. Like I felt like many of the places we would go were so popular. Like when you have like the big pyramids, for example. And, yeah, it's and, one of the and, it's one of the wonders of the world. Yeah. So I used to say when I was there, I used to think it's like snow in Canada. It doesn't matter what you do, you're gonna get snow. And it was kind of the same with the tourists over there. It seems like it doesn't really matter like how nice they were or not. They knew that there were always gonna be tourists coming all the time for years. I mean, it's been tourists for like what yeah. hundred years over there. So we did not, I don't know, I can't say that the experience was all that great. There was a lot of trash also. Mm. I felt like a lot of many places were not, maybe it's better now. I don't know the bit back then. But that said, I did like the Sinai Peninsula. Mm. Also, we went down over there. We spent some time there. Uh, my friend at the time was big into uh, free diving. Yeah, they okay. had all the diving there. Yeah. yeah, and that's a big spot for that. Wow. Charmel so, Sheik. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's where we were. So we spent quite some time there. But then again, we left that and then you drive on the coast of the Sinai. And I remember driving like from almost a day and seeing all those seeing all those buildings that were um, not finished. Yeah. And that's because apparently there they had this kind of law that they were going to give people land, but you had to build within five years to keep the land or keep the taxes low but you didn't have to finish you just have to start the construction so there sure. was endless like for and miles and miles and miles of unfinished building along the coast and you're like eh. oh yeah it was a bit of a what were your because i've never been to the pyramids so what was your feeling of being like at one of the only remaining ancient wonders of the world i was gonna say the best one for me was actually in sudan okay on the way up to sudan i've heard that yes yes and because there was no one else there was only maybe like four of us yeah to the truck there, we hiked a little bit, and and that was spectacular for sure. That's and that was the yeah. Nubian pharaohs, wasn't it? That built those. I, I think don't they know. said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Now amazing. I kind of want to go back now. Oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Soon. I remember also when I was in Sudan. Sudan was was special. It was so hot. First of all, it was insane because we spent a few weeks in um in the capital in Khartoum because we were trying to get permit to go drive through Saudi Arabia, and back then it was really hot. Like you had like a business reason or whatever, so they kept us waiting for almost two weeks, and at the end 
didn't get there. Uh, now it's pretty easy. Yeah, now it's do. a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you change now the, the car is there. I'd like to go. That'd be a cool one for you. Gas is cheap. That's right. <laughs> Prospect. Prospector. <laughs> hammer down. Hammer down. Next year for Dakar. For Dakar. Isn't Ashley there? They they just were. Yeah. yeah. Ashley and Richard Giordano. Richard, yeah. yeah, I saw some pictures. They were there. just they were just there. They had a wonderful time. They were there for the Dakar. I saw they the Dakar did. in Senegal. Wow. That would be back when I was working there. That was phenomenal. Did you know it was coming or did you just happen to like no, see these I knew, people I racing I, by? No, no, I knew I had been watching it even before, but okay. and it happened to be the same time I had the wedding uh, in Dakar. Okay. So we went to the wedding, which I think was after Christmas uh, on the, there's a small island outside of Dakar. And then, uh, and then, yeah. And then, and then my friend there, Jan, he was, he was local. He was, he was from Senegal but, and he came from a wealthy family. His, sure. I think his, his, mo- his mother was French and his father was the Senegalese ambassador to France or something like that. I forgot the exact situation, but sure. he was very, very well known. Just to give you an idea, his sister was dating Gerard Depardieu for a while. Oh, wow. And at the wedding, she was there with another French actor, fairly famous. I forgot his name right now. Wow. He was there at the wedding. It was, a, it, was a, it was a pretty big thing. I would say so. Yeah, it was great. And then at the wedding, I actually met a local Senegal, Senegalese guy who had done the Dakar a few times. Ooh. And so it was awesome because he had some really good stories, especially because he was from Senegal. And there's very few people from Senegal that are doing, were doing the Dakar because it's sure. so expensive. You know, it was yeah. not something that was mostly just, you know, foreigners doing it. So it was great. And like spend an entire night in the bar in Dakar. Like we left the bar and the sun was up the next morning, <laughs> just talking about the race and everything. <laughs> well, and for you to experience the original original Dakar in yeah, Senegal. Yeah. I mean, cause it's likely never going back. No, I don't yeah, think probably so. not. Yeah. I don't think so. They have another one now that's called the echo e- challenge Eco challenge. Yeah. I need to spend a bit more time looking at it, but I mean, they, no, they have, they have the classic now also that they're doing the Dakar classic. The classic is really Amy Lerner did that this year. And what was her yeah. thoughts on it? You know, I, I, I haven't talked to her on it. We got to get know, her from, on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, from just from, you know, following her on Instagram, it looks really fun. She's yeah, in an air yeah. cooled 911, which is my jam. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. That, that, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I read that the, I think it's like the third seasons now for the, for the classic. Yeah. And the numbers have like triple. They had like one. You no, know, it just like and, sounds uh, more fun. Yeah, it does. Totally. Way like, more does. fun. Way more fun. Like I, I always had these like foolish dreams that I'd do it on a motorcycle. No, there's like no way. Oh, like yeah. absolutely no yeah. way. Those people are like superhuman. I watched uh, Lyndon Boskett's video. He did the Maui Moto class, which you, you are self-supported. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm like, man, I could not ride for 10 hours a day and then sleep for four hours next to somebody's generator yes. for two weeks straight. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know how you do it. Maybe that's why Red Bull's sponsors it yeah. <laughs> superhuman yeah. i find it very a bit sad because in the u.s the coverage we get to the dakar is so it's just limited. hard to follow right it's, it's, really it's complex follow. it's constantly changing and it takes you know two weeks of effort it's not my dog's name is named dakar yeah yeah yeah, yeah. do you know how much i watch of the dakar yeah not that much because it's just it's not even the coverage it's just the fact that it's like it's a big event yeah. two weeks long so you kind of like kind of check in and i think the problem these days is you end up following it on social media you yeah. follow the riders or the drivers or whatever and they're posting and they're giving their little you know snippet of the adventure why do i want to listen to espn and find out what i already knew from instagram i did an effort this year to follow it a little bit more like on a red bull website and and, uh, on the dakar website but what i didn't like is they always talk about the same Mm. what are the other stories yeah what are the stories they only talk about like the the two guys in the quads and a couple guys on the bike i think it's just such a complex event again to follow Mm. to to make a constant narrative of i don't know yeah i don't know that makes sense yeah Makes sense. Yeah. But then again, when I was there in West Africa, like we had it on TV, like it was on the news every night and every day. And so cool. Did it feel like the locals were into it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, they also into it getting bribed on the way back <laughs> because <laughs> they'll let you come in quickly, but then you, you got to take your time going well, back out. Yeah, because my friend had, had not told me. He said, "He said, yeah, take my Land Cruiser. I had a uh, sixty series Land Cruiser. I said, take the truck and go see the Dakar." So I left, and I realized that the plates was expired. Were expired on the truck. Oh no, it had been bought from France or whatever, and they were expired. So every checkpoint, you know, I was getting stopped, and then I was like, "Okay, uh, all part of the adventure." Yeah. And a special thanks to this week's sponsor, Dometic. When you're heading out, you don't want anything to hold you back. Whether you're planning a week-long adventure or a quick overnight trip to your favorite outdoor spot, we've got you. Dometic's CFX3 powered cooler is designed with any size adventure in mind. The CFX3 allows you to bring more of your favorite food and drink along for the ride, no matter how far you plan to go. Available in multiple sizes, the CFX3 is built for the demands of outdoor use and comes with a handy app that gives you complete control at your fingertips. It's the state-of-the-art, designed-for-rugged-use cooler that you can rely on and enjoy for years to come. That crossing of Africa was not your only adventure in Africa. You got to tell us the story about the limousine to Timbuktu. Yes. To Timbuktu. To Timbuktu, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. So, so, so the short story is I've been obsessed with West Africa. I love West Africa. I've always tried to find a way to go back, you know, one way or another. And then at the time I was working all the time, you know, in San Francisco. So we didn't have that much time. But I remember my, my, my friend had an apartment and, and all, all of this kind of makes me old now. It seems I've changed so much, right? Because in, in just 15 years, right? This was, yeah. this was before like, you know, all the tech stuff. And I mean, there was some tech stuff, but he was not like it is now. He, he had an apartment on Haight and Ashbury. Like, yeah, Haight. right in it. Well, it was super cheap, you know, with a terrace on the roof and we'll go there and dream about our trips, you know, and now this apartment is probably worth it. And million. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So he came, he came up one day and he said, yeah, there was this like, uh, I think it was Timut to Bangui. Okay. Charlie race. Okay. In West Africa. Or maybe I found it. I don't know. But I remember having a drink with him and, and we're like, okay, so let's do this race. And then the next topic, what, well, then which car we're going to take? And then he's like, well, what's the least likely car you can take to this race? So the condition, a couple of beers after, we're like, a limousine. We'll take a limo. So, all right. So, okay. So, so far we're in the same, so far the plan is, you know. <laughs> it's coming together. It's coming perfect. Together very well. So, <laughs> so then, you can so sleep so, inside. So this, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Exactly. <laughs> totally. <laughs> the question there. So, okay, all right. So where. I didn't think of that. That's so true. <laughs> so the next question is, where do we find a limo? What's the best place to find a limo? Yeah, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. <laughs> so the next day I was in Craigslist, Las Vegas, and I found a limo, like some, I won't get in that story, but some local guy had a limo for sale that he wasn't using. He was in the storage place. And Mark and I, we, we, we took our Southwest points, we flew to Vegas, we uh-huh. put a new battery, and then we drove the thing back. <laughs> it, it almost would have been better if you had hired the former limo driver to drive his former limo. To <laughs> yes. Could you imagine? And just be blasted in the back the entire time. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that kind of almost happened in, in a way. <laughs> but yeah, so we took, the, we took the limo back to San Francisco. We spent the summer there with the limo in San Francisco. It was a blast. You know, we took it surfing with a surfboard. We took it to Burning Man. It was phenomenal. We, and then we drove it across to New York, ship it to back to the UK, and then drove it down all the way to Mali. And then there, a couple of things happened there. When we got there, the uh, the charity event, the way it was, it was done with 
didn't really like, you know, what the money was going and a bunch of stuff. So we decided to not, because the, the plan actually was to give away the limo to the charity and then they would raise the money and then the money would go to some local things. But then didn't really like that. There was some aspect that was not. Did they not want your limo? No, no, no. It was more <laughs> where the money was going and the, way sure. the charity was done. And how, uh, how much actually went? How to much the, actually? Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. And so we decided to just always keep it the there and then keep driving and go to Timbuktu. That's why I had this famous picture in front of the airport. <laughs> in Timbuktu. Well, yeah. and, and as I understand, you just gave me an update today. Yeah. Is that somebody, somebody posted on the internet, a picture of this limo in Timbuktu and everybody was so confused about how it got there. Exactly. It's I, still exactly. There. Yeah. It's still there. I was looking for it like a few weeks ago because I told the story to someone and I was looking online to find a picture. Yeah. We got to go rescue the, the limo from Timbuktu. I know. I know. I was I, I actually looking in this kind of shape. So I have no, because he was, you know, it's one of those. <laughs> yes. those you uh, can be the one that tries to take it from the local limo driver. Oh no. It, but it'll be a super fun. It'll be a super fun adventure. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no. You got to find a sure. way to make I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've done that. We just did that now in Uruguay with the full honor. <laughs> Went to rescue it a couple of times too because of different story, different situation. But there's an, there's an adventure. We did that also. That, that's right. I forgot to mention this one when we drove across Mexico. The Maya Rally. We still have a band in Belize that needs to be rescued. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it's like on a tree farm or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's like uh, it's more of a drug dealer farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was a little bit shocked when I went back a few years ago to see where the limo was, but um, not the limo, the, the band there. Very profitable if you drive it home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're like yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll, we'll pay your expenses to drive it back to the U.S. Just don't yeah. look in the trunk. <laughs> yeah, I think the lesson again, asking asking about lesson. I think the lesson is you can't really think anything to go travel and you don't have to spend, you know, a fortune and and years, you know, in planning. I mean, imagine how many, how much you laughed driving a limo across Africa. It had to have been like there, there's probably not another car. Like you couldn't drive like the coolest Land Cruiser on the planet would not bring no, as much attention no, no, as a yeah, limo. No, for sure, for sure, for sure. And wasn't it like a pink limo or something? And I was white. It white, was white, white, but it had white. like, inside it was uh, red, like red leather and blue and stuff inside. It had the antenna in the back, like the, the, the Miami Vice type of antenna. How do you ship a limo? Roll on, roll off. Yeah, roll on, roll yeah, off. Exactly. There's no right. container for it. No container. It, had, it had that like V antenna on the back. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. and the sunroof and Did the the mini like bar the, inside. They had a mini like bar. The, yeah, the mini bar inside. Oh, yeah, that's have, so good. That's so good. Reminds me of like, I don't, I don't even going to the airport when I was three because I think maybe limos died. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really fun. Even the summer in San Francisco with it because everyone, because it was, a, it was, I think it was an 86 or 88, like from the late 80s. So it was like full 80s and everyone was like, oh my gosh, I had this when I went to prompt, you know, and they yeah. would come and talk to us. And, and then in Africa, like you said, the thing also about having a vehicle like this, it's actually in some strange ways, safer because people are so shocked they don't even think about you know <laughs> they can't even think about robbing you yeah, yeah exactly. no one's gonna rob you in a limo yeah. <laughs> they're, they're laughing like, they're laughing too they're much laughing. they're like what's that you know these guys are crazy for you can't have to you have to be a bit crazy to start with to drive yeah, this. So they're like sure. you're not gonna mess with those guys they're crazy enough to drive a limo here <laughs> so yeah because i remember and then but then on the other hand oftentimes it's the actual overlanders that are going to look down on you yeah because if the german guy spend you know two hundred thousand dollars on his hg 78 yeah and you're there with your limo that's kind of like <laughs> two-wheel drive limo yeah. Yeah, exactly. Take away from this fun, you know, on yeah, the ferry. Yeah, so, sure. yeah. not as, you know, friendly. We, we need more limos driving around the world we do, we to do. keep the egos at bay. For more sure. limo. Yeah, more limo. Yeah, more limo. <laughs> yeah, now there is, a, yeah, and then the bands, a similar story. I mean, I organized the Maya Rally in Mexico and we bought the bands on scene. It was a 74, uh, 450 SEL, the big V8. 
Yeah. And I remember we bought it with my, the same friend again, my, uh, we bought it uh, off eBay for less than $2,000. Super clean. Actually, now I kind of regret a little bit being clean and now they are worth a lot, but <laughs> bought it from a guy in San Ramon in, in the Bay Area and then drove it all the way to Belize. No and that's the right, whatsoever. and that's the right car for it too. I mean, a Mercedes Benz for those roads, it's phenomenal. It's made for it. Made for it, and with the big V8 in Mexico, when we had to go on those, uh, not the autobahn, but the, the the one that has a toll. Yeah, Mexico, sure. That, that car has a lot of torque at high speed. <laughs> and I remember trying to follow it when I the forerunner and Mark was, it was gone. <laughs> He's Crazy. gone. He's gone. But, we yeah. got to go rescue the Benz. Yeah, we got to do it. Like the three of us, we're going to plan it right here on this podcast. Yeah, everybody's going. Everybody's going to learn how to plan. I'd rather go for the limo. Okay, yeah. maybe we'll yeah. do both. We would do both. Yeah, but the limo <laughs> could be more fun. I think. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the limo would be an adventure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you often have overlanders that like, you know, they, they finish a trip somewhere and they sell their cars for free or they just need to move on, you know, or they you have an agency on the, or something. You see them on the portal on the forum all the time, people that finish their trip and just you know, leave South them America yeah. and you can buy them for sometimes pennies on the dollar. Yeah, because they realize how much money it is to ship them back, take care of yeah. it. And then that's how we got our full honor in, in South America. That's right. Super nice couple. And they'd been traveling for a couple of years. And then in their case, um, they got they, they decided to adopt a dog in Colombia. And then I think it was some money issue. I don't know the details, essentially, but they were going to hurry. They're like, oh, we're done. We want to go. And no one was going to buy the truck because it had plates from Alaska. Yeah, and sure. They have to sell um, unless you find someone a bit crazy. And sure. Need to deal with the paperwork, and you did. In fact, I you did, had yeah. to you had to meet the guy and go to the border together, no. so he could get it out and then get it back in. Yeah, well, oh, I think that's what I told you to do, yes. and then you didn't do no, that exactly. <laughs> that's the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, you, I remember that's right. That's right. You said, Scott, how do I get the car out of the country? And I explained how to do it, and then you you took a totally different plan. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay, that's exactly. interesting. Interesting advice. I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. yeah so how did how, how did that happen? So the, the way you explained it is the proper way of doing it. You go there. <laughs> the way I did it is they were already gone. They were gone back to New Zealand and they left the truck at the airport. Yeah, and sure. I flew in and I got the keys. I think he had made me the keys or something. And then I drove to the, uh, I drove to the, um, the Peru. I went up to Peru and then I got to the border and to my surprise, I was hoping to just cancel the tip, the temporary yep. importation permit and get a new one in Peru. But to my shock when I got there that they were both connected. It was the same person who was doing both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was pretty dodgy. It was pretty effy because it's like, uh, your name doesn't match the name there and the name and this and that. And I was sweating and I was like, well, maybe I won't have a truck after all. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and the next thing I explained in Spanish a little bit of what was happening. And then after a while, she said, fine. And I just stamped everything and then I was on my way. I love it. But again, that's another example. You've, like, had, you've had such great luck. With just showing up, just like and figuring it out, showing yeah. up and figuring it out. Well, and that's the point of like the cheap car, like because yeah, yes, exactly. then you you just aren't that stressed. You know, I mean, you would you would be disappointed, of course, yeah. if it didn't work out. But it's it's not like you spent sixty grand on a no. new forerunner. Three thousand, I think it was three thirty five hundred. Yeah, thirty five hundred bucks. And I about with a friend half an hour. Yeah, was, sure. He was, he was yeah with Chris Collard. With Chris Collard. So yeah, I mean, I would have hate. Tell Chris that I lost a truck, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> still, you know, it was a, probably a 50, 50 chances, you know, and yeah, I, yeah. I still had everything in my suitcase. I didn't, I had not really unpacked at that point. Cause I was like, if I take the bus and need the truck there, then there's some bus, you know, buy. Oh, you know what we got to talk about? I just realized because we had to send Chris Collard down to rescue our Land Cruiser oh, yeah, from right, Panama. Right. Yes, but yes, you yes. guys, you guys first connected at Panama with, Passage. So for those that are listening, oh, there was man. a period of time. Christian is usually a decade of, ahead of the trends. This was at least 10 years ago. This was oh, 2000. Yeah. You started 10, this, you started this like Overlanders hostel yeah. in Panama City. Yes, yes, yes. And you got this house down there and then you hired this young whippersnapper, this ginger haired 
Young was, whippersnapper. I was so drunk. <laughs> I, had, Most of the time. I was 21 years old. Yeah, 20, yeah. I had just left the Midwest and I was running an Overlander hostel in Panama. You that's, that's right. Fine. That's that's right. Yeah, so you, you actually worked that's for fine. both of us. Yeah. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> Hopefully someday I'll work for you, Matt. Yeah. Yes, so Christian, right, Christian hired Matt Scott to run Panama Passage and help people get their documents in order. Yeah, and I'd help people <laughs> ship trucks and stuff. Yeah. Like, that was an adventure for sure. That was quite the adventure. I want to tell one story about a certain someone at this table who hid the fucking AC remote. Okay. I don't know who it was. <laughs> yeah. But French accent. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe this slightly pampered kid from the Midwest uh, was like sitting there at two in the morning, like sweating with this fucking fan because it was like 9,000 degrees, 100% humidity. And then in the, you finally give me the code to the safe to like put the cash in for like the $3 that we would have collected. From like, like, like I, and there's this AC remote in there and I'm like, oh, you did me dirty. You <laughs> did me really dirty. <laughs> I, I sat mean, in that room for like 24 hours at like 60 degrees. I mean, no, but I'm really, I think, I think that each Overlander there, I think maybe that place made $3. Yeah, we didn't make any money there. Well, because like no, somebody was, would was, come in and it would be like, I don't know, I'm going to make up numbers. It was like $15 a night for a room. Yeah. Super reasonable. And then you'd get people that would come in and be like, well, in Honduras, I paid $8. Yeah. So I'm not paying you any more than eight thirty-two. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like what are you going to do? Like, yeah. This uh, is Panama. It's a little more expensive in Panama than yeah. Honduras. Okay. Well, can I sleep in the yard for I'm like, oh man, just. Pay the fifteen dollars to get to bed. Like that's all I do. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we didn't make any money. I, I, I kind of like you had that. Uh, you had that for a couple of years, didn't you? Maybe a year. We had a, Matt was there. My partner Sean was there. Yeah, and then uh, Phil. Phil was there for a while yeah. too, and then we lost the house essentially. Oh, that's right, the lease on it. Yeah. yeah, we lost the house. But there's a guy. What now. year was that though? I remember I'm, we were really looking for a new one when you were down there. Yeah, yes, we yeah. did. We did. We did try to find a new. What was the cab really driver's hard. name? Do you remember the cab driver's name? Was it Bruno? I remember the cab driver. I don't remember his name. Yeah. Yeah, he would come all the time. But now there's an, a guy who, I, I haven't met them. I just saw on Instagram, called Overland, Overland Embassy. Okay. And they are down in Panama City. And it's essentially the same concept as I was doing. He's offering, uh, we're doing, he was offering, he's offering place to stay and help with shipping and yeah. that type of stuff. Awesome. I mean, there's a need for that there. For no sure. question. Yeah. For, sure, for sure. For sure. There's a need for that. Yeah. I think you started that fairly shortly after I had been in Panama. I had yeah. driven, I had driven from Arizona down. Yeah, to, we took Land Cruiser that we down to the dairy. So I took this one down. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So I had done the trip down to the Darien Gap in 2009 and then it was maybe 2012, 2011. And then you drove the 80 series down. The KTM in the back. Yeah, that's right. From Ottawa with us. That's right. And then you left the Land Cruiser there and then we had to have it rescued. So Chris, Chris, Chris Collard went, flew down yeah. and drove it back. Yeah, so went, so uh, fun. Spent almost six, I don't know, a good amount of time there in Cruiser. Yeah. I went back and fought to Costa Rica a few yeah, times. Yeah. I love that thing, but taking so much fuel. It does. It's very believable. Yeah. It consumes a lot of fuel. We talked about that also last night with Matt yeah. about the 80s. They were great for a while, but in my opinion, now they're too old now. Well, I mean, they're, 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 they're no less, now. they're no less great. They're just, they're so old. I mean, and they were just complex enough where... Yeah, now the wiring just, and the they're just cla- they're classic yeah, cars. Yeah, now they're a classic yeah, so car. So it's like sure. you know, I mean, that's that's yeah. what you're driving around the world. You're, yeah, you know, exactly. there's this idea that you're going to find parts everywhere, but buy a 200 and go. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're on yeah. the Hilux train. Yeah, fuel economy, yeah. Yeah. comfort. You look like every hey, other car going down the road. Exactly. You add in one metric ton of payload. Yeah, twenty two hundred pounds. So uh, because I, right now I'm obsessed with going back to Africa. Perfect. I really want to go back. It's crazy. well, I'm going in August. So, um, but did you see on the forum the, um, there's a person? I don't know. 
his name, who just posted a trip report in Africa that he, from what I've gathered, he's lives in Utah somewhere. Okay. He kept a troop carrier in the UK. So he has like, I don't know, like a little stress trip report that he did. I think he's done like 50 expeditions in Africa. Wow. And the last one, he shipped his truck to Dakar and he drove east, all through Mali and uh, Niger and Chad and Dakar, the Central African Republic. And that was like a few months ago. And then he went back to Cameroon and shipped his truck back to the UK. Oh, that's awesome. That's insane. Like no one does that. Even no one does that. Now he yeah. says that he hasn't seen one single lander on the whole trip. It's wow. crazy. And he has beautiful pictures of But has Chad he done the Mojave Road? <laughs> I don't <laughs> not, know. He's not an overlander. Him. Yeah, he seemed like a very interesting Seems questionable person. that yeah. he hasn't done the Mojave Road. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so that totally kind of reignited my session with Google. It going back to Africa. Oh man, sure, that's so sure. so incredible. So let's let's kind of start to pivot a little bit. We cannot cover all of your travels because you've done these incredible journeys, including the stuff that you did in the Middle East and and the travels that you've done in South America recently, and, and that Chris Collard continues to do. You guys are sharing this forerunner down there in South America. In fact, I think Chris is down there right now. Yeah. Your travels have been extensive, but what we hope to do is take away some. Some questions. So Matt and I will, will have a couple of questions for you. But one of the questions we do like to ask on every podcast is what is your what's your favorite books? I gotta say travel books. Yeah. You know, Lonely Planet was the big one for a while and I still buy them today. I yeah. still buy, you know, I know I honestly I go on eBay these days. I don't even have to pay like the full retail price. I go on eBay and I get a few travel books and I think it's a great way to get excited about trip, you know. That's true. It kind of primed and, the primes the pump. You get yeah, all excited oh, yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some there's something symbolic about having this on your table before when you pack your luggage and stuff and you have the book next to you and you're yeah. like, it's like, okay, now, now I'm going there. And I still have I kept all of them. I have like a library full of all those travel books. That's like, awesome. But there is one, there is one collection I will link after some guys did. Those are travel books, but it's, uh, it's everything is fake. Tire things is, is a joke <laughs> and it's actually quite funny. I'm fairly sure that some of the jokes will not be acceptable maybe these days. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll need to be revisited, but overall it's, those are very, very funny books. So they have one for like Asia and they have, well, they have one for like Central, Central America and, you know, Eastern Europe. Uh, very cool. What uh, questions do you have for so, the illustrious well, I, I, Christian? I guess it's not really a question as much as asking for advice on, you've always kept things refreshingly simple, always yeah. kept things really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've always managed to avoid like the serious overland overlander stereotype. Like what's yeah. What's your key to that? One thing is my background. No, you, we grew up in Quebec. We have six months a year of winter. My first car was a Chrysler Le Baron. Yeah. It would drive. And then I had a, a Renault Lacar. That's what we were driving in the winter. Yeah. We didn't have any, we didn't, there was no Max tracks. There was no, you know, we yeah. didn't have any four by four. No one had a four by four when I was young. And we were living six months in like crazy winter. <laughs> yeah, sure. So when you grow up like this. It was I just think, another day. It was just yeah. another day. So you don't grow up with all those needs of having the most, you know, ex- crazy vehicle on the planet. But you've seen California drivers. They actually need four-wheel drive. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. In LA, everywhere. Yeah, it's LA, crazy. You have four-wheel drive. got to have a four-wheel four drive in LA. Yeah. So I think that's part it of rains it. rains there. Probably the background. <laughs> Twice a year. I think the other part is to not take yourself too seriously. Yeah. And that, and that, again, goes a long way on the border crossing because I've seen it over and over. It does. People coming, especially in Central America, like so many times you have all those fixers that you don't get stressed out about. I just have, have fun with them. Yeah, of course. Like, like smile. Yes, yeah, smile. I remember like I was like, I remember one time, I don't know again why, but I was at the border in Nicaragua, Honduras, and 
had a picture of, no, the, the guy next to me, the fixer, had a picture of his girlfriend. They all often have that, right? When on your cell phone, you have a picture. Uh, sure. I have a picture of my, my wife on my phone. So I told the guy in Spanish, I said, is this a picture of your mother? <laughs> <laughs> and that just, just that sentence, the guy started laughing and then the whole thing was totally, yeah. you know, the dynamic was totally different. Yeah. And then I gave him, I don't know, like some people really refuse. That's a whole other discussion too. But I gave him maybe five bucks or whatever. And I went for a drink and I let him just go on my paperwork. Yeah. You know, and, and there's, there's a lot. Fixers can be so cheap and so There's valuable. a lot to discuss about this. You know, a lot of people have a very strong opinion. I remember with my friend fighting about this a lot. You know, some people have a very strong opinion that you don't encourage local or by giving money. Don't encourage them to have a job. He's offering a service. I mean, it's different if you're someone's panhandling, of course. You don't yeah, want to encourage yeah. that. But someone that's there to help you with a service yeah. removes some of the complexity. I think, I think people get very righteous about it. Yeah, like it's totally. uh, They get the Boy Scout badge, the Boy Scout patch. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Went, oh, well, I don't fixers. And I'm like, yeah, there's well, that also. Well, yes, how many yes. how many extra days do you have? How much is your time worth? Yeah. What's your time worth? Yeah, and 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 how much days of that? are worth five bucks to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, for the price, I mean, it's, and, and the problem is they're going to be, at the end of the day, going to be way more efficient than you anyway. They know the process. They know the, they process know the, the people. people. They know everything. I mean, I've done both, you know, I've done it myself also very often. And sometimes they're not even there or depending on the border. But when the guy's there and he looks legit and yeah. you have a chance to just relax and have a drink in the, at the cafe and just, you can watch him for like a distance yep. running around. And yeah, that's I mean, another reason to be in a car that doesn't cost a lot of money. You're just <laughs> yeah, no, like, none of it, none of it becomes a stress anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And and the practical advice that even if you're not like overland traveling, you know, crossing borders and vehicles is if you're going into difficult countries, you can still hire those guys that like meet you at the airport for like almost no money, yep. walk you through customs, save you huge amounts of time. We were doing that. We, we've done that in Africa yeah. before where it's like an arrival service is like 15 bucks Super and, cheap. and, yeah, a, dude, yeah, and yeah. a dude grabs your bag walks you through the diplomatic line and puts you in a taxi. Yep. It's like the best $15 you can spend. Yeah. Yeah. In the world. And it adds to the experience. Yeah, exactly. It totally, exactly. I mean, aren't we here to interact with the locals? Yeah. It's like you see some guy come th- roll through with a Unimog with armor plated windows and this guy, he never interacts with it. He's like, he's in his safe. Yeah. He's yeah. in his yes. bubble. Yeah. To me, having a fixer work with, laugh with them, understand the process, work with them on it. No it's one great. said it has to be, you know, a painful and serious experience. I mean, I remember one time we, when we had the Panama Passage place in Panama, we had to do border runs every three months because our border mm-hmm. would, our our visa would expire in Panama. So you go to Costa Rica, you stamp out, you stamp back in. Had to. We had to. Well, <laughs> we don't like to do, but yeah, uh, of course. I remember we, we would go on the, on the border that's on the west side. There's a smaller border crossing uh, near is Porto Viejo in Costa Rica. That's side. right. The, the, the agent there, the border guy there, I think he was probably gay and I think he was probably liking my friend a lot. Uh-huh. So we became really friends with him. Sure. And I remember like we were going there one time and the guys are like, hey, do you want to take our job? So we ended up, Franchine and I, behind the custom corner, <laughs> stamping people coming in. <laughs> Those like backpackers coming down and like, yeah, what do they have to declare? And then having a passport for the guy who having a break in the back. <laughs> I love it. So that's yeah, amazing. It's, 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 that's amazing. And, and we didn't even get to talk about the fact that you did a mountain bike race across yeah. Costa Rica too. I mean, there's just, there's no way to pack it all into we'll one. We'll have to have them on again. Yeah, I think we're going we'll to have to have them on again. Any other questions come to mind, Matt? That was a great one. We'll say yeah, that was the next time. One. That was a great question. So one of the things that we also really like to ask is, and you've covered it a lot in this, but if someone is new to overlanding, what is a couple 
key pieces of advice that you would give them to help mm-hmm. them on their journey around the world? One of the biggest one is don't focus too much on your vehicle. Focus on where you want to go. And yeah. Because it's so easy. Even myself, like it's so easy to get trapped. And you add those tires on pension and spend that money. And it's not to think about a lot more about planning, depending on how long you want to take. Yeah. You know, I would say that, I would say very quickly right now, and I would say there's probably two approach. If you are short on, ter- on time, if you have, let's say, like less than two months, just get something. Rent a car or buy something local or borrow one from a friend or whatever. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go to Iceland for a month, just get some DF tons of trucks there. Nice. They do. Super cool trucks. Cooler than we got. Super, super nice. If you're going to go for longer than that, then yes, you may want to have your vehicle. But think about more things like fuel. Because when you travel and you have every day, that costs a lot. It does. It's one of your that. most expensive things. It is one of the most expensive things. Think about coming back to. doesn't matter how long you're going to go. You're going to have to come back. Yeah. And I made that mistake, you know, once. Like the first time I thought, oh, that's it. I'm going forever. I'm selling everything. Like we, we sold everything. Surfboards, mountain bikes, everything. Like, woohoo, we're leaving. And you come back after a year or two. You have to start from scratch. Surfboard. Yeah. Yeah, You didn't have a surfboard. That's a problem. I don't have have any furniture. I don't have any computer. I don't have anything at all. Yeah. You have to start from scratch. And that, that, just the shock of coming back by itself sometimes is a bit difficult because you've had so much fun and, you know, you have this great experience. So it's changed you. Yeah. Shock coming back. Add to that, having to like find an apartment, you know, buy all this stuff and everything that also, I think, compounded that experience. Yeah. So, so I would say just plan, try to plan the end, the end also. Yeah. What does that mean? Maybe make sure you have some support because you're going to be a changed person when you come back. Yeah. And if you want to travel and another thing also, if you want to travel for a long time financially, like, I think it's also good to have a plan on how you're going to you know, finance this trip because so many times I've seen people like we've seen this at Panama Passage, right? After a few months traveling, they're like, oh, I like that. I want to keep doing it. How do I make money? It's really hard to make money when you're on, when yeah. in Nicaragua or in Mexico or whatever. And, and people like or, usually underestimate how much they're going to spend on the Also, yeah. I think. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. So my advice is, I think, and that's what I do now is, is work really hard here, make really good money, then spend the money and not try yeah. to mix both. It's yeah, too you're hard. really good at that. It's like, it seems like you'll kind of, you know, you'll work and then you'll take a sabbatical and you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Like there's, there's a couple travelers that I really admire that do that. Like David Prittis is like yeah, that as well. Good. Like he works and he travels and they are different things. Yeah. yeah. yeah Dan Grek does yeah, that Dan too. Greg Although does. he's starting to yeah. make more money as a traveler um, too. But. but it's so hard. I've tried to do both together. I've done it a few times, you know, and you don't and, end up, I don't think that you end up getting the full experience of travel if you're working the, all the time. No, 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 you, you, for sure. No, for I'll sure, take it not, over not traveling. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because I mean, maybe we can, I don't know how much money we have. And you if you, yeah, we got, yeah, let's, we can talk about that for sure. we can talk about this. Like I, because uh, I work in IT, so I, my, my work is remote and my boss won't listen to this. But but a few years ago, I was working, I was working in Czech Republic. Work, I was kind of working remote at the time, but I was also visiting and everything. And I remember this one night I had a meeting and it's really hard. So one thing I found out also when it's traveling, it's really, you want to work. It's really hard to find a quiet place. There's noise everywhere, crazy. And then you go to a hotel, the Wi-Fi might not work. It might be down. Sometimes it works better in, in the, the lobby. In the yeah. lobby. Yeah, but yeah. So this one time I had a meeting and I was the one who called the meeting. And so I told my wife, Persephone, I said, I have got to find a quiet place. So we found this restaurant that was downstairs, super quiet. Like, because a restaurant usually like starts a bit later or whatever. And so the meeting with the time difference, the meeting was maybe five, six for us and maybe 8 a.m. on the West Coast. And so I'm like, this is perfect on the place, good Wi Fi, everything. I get set up. I stopped the meeting about 10 minutes. It was a Russian club, like a disc, like a disco club. The DJ came in, cranked the music. <laughs> I couldn't even hear anything on the phone. <laughs> it was yeah. a disaster. Yeah. And, and that has happened so many times where, you know, you, you plan for something when you're trying to travel or have a conference call and then. Yeah. 
to me, that led me to believe, to, to conclude that now it's much better to like spend six months, a year, whatever, make the good money in the U.S. and then go travel and enjoy the trip and not yeah. try to mix both together. And you recently became an American citizen. I, yes, Congratulations. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. the best of both. Like you're super nice Canadian yeah. and you also have your American citizen. I wasn't sure if that was, uh, I was supposed to make, make that, you know, official, uh, like um, eagle or something. Oh. But, but the last time the custom guy at the, when I crossed from Canada to the U.S., I'm, some guys have dual citizenship. I guess he knew. <laughs> oh, they know. Yeah. They know. Yeah. So they I know said, what you yes. had for breakfast, man. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine then. So now, I, no, and, and actually it's, uh, I, I'm kind of proud of it. You should be. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, it was a big deal. Honestly, it was yeah. a big deal. They have deal. like an assault rifle vending machine at your they naturalization did. No, ceremony. <laughs> We did not, but we're, I didn't we're have... We're missing a big thing there. Well, to be fair, I didn't get the full experience because of COVID. Okay. So it was a little bit of a downer in a, in a way because yeah. the way it works is you go to your interview and then a few weeks after you have the actual allegiance, like the oath. Oh, sure. Of allegiance. But because of COVID, after I finished the interview, I was in Boston. She said, by the way, she said, hey, do you want to Hey, this morning? We do a ceremony... Know, every hour. So I was by myself. I went upstairs in America. But uh, but you know, it's a it's a big milestone for sure. For, for sure. sure. To be fair, I'm also really really happy that I get Indian one. Yeah. Some countries won't let you have both. Sure. So that if I had to choose, then then that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, for sure. But you didn't have to choose yeah, it. And that's choose. good. Yeah. yeah. I get often asking you know, when you travel, you know, like oftentimes by Americans actually like, oh yeah, Canada is supposed to be so much better and this and that. So living in both countries, you know, for like 25, almost 25 each, you know, it's like, eh, there's plus and minus everywhere. Everywhere in the world. Yeah. Well, maybe Norway. There's not, oh, it's you cold know. there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a plus and minus everywhere. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And always pretty good. But yeah, there's, there's always pluses and minuses yeah. everywhere. That led me though to also talk about something else about travel when you ask about overlanding. Also, I think try to pick a destination that means something to you. Like, like for me, I like adventure, right? I like the surprises. I like, I didn't like Thailand. I found like Thailand was very predictable. It's they have for a tourism. lot of tourists there. Everything is, I remember like going to the famous bay where they did the move at the beach with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh yeah. Outside of it was the famous, you know, uh, beach Cody. place. That was yeah, beautiful. Yeah. They had like 12 yeah. different speedboats. You had yeah. to put like a sticker on us. You won't lose track of who was <laughs> on which boat, you know? Yeah. Kind of like the I same will say experience. like, you know, if you go to those places in Asia that are the touristy spots, it can be a little overwhelming, but if you, you can get off the beaten path pretty quickly. Yeah, that's that's also, that's, that's also very, very true. But then again, you go to South Africa. Yeah. Then it's a surprise every corner. It is, every like corner. It's, it's in, very intense, you know, for the same. It's one of my favorite places on the uh, planet. Sure. I, I would say, I think I would say the same also. it's. I'm going to retire someday and I'm going to be doing the podcast from South Africa. Yeah. Did you have the chance <laughs> to go to the Apartheid Museum? No, I have not. And, and I, I, need twice. Do, I need to do that. It's, uh, it's. I need uh, to do that. I could do, I could do Namibia. Yeah. Like, I really like yeah. Vinthook. It reminds me of Vinthook. Super great. Yeah, I kind of, I, I need to go back. I, uh, our stuff got stolen in Duke. That was my experience oh, okay. over there. So we got we got there. Our our master cylinder brake, the brake yeah. master cylinder was leaking on the truck. So when we got when we got to Vinduk, the first thing we, we did was to go to the Toyota dealership to buy one. Like, like like that's often the case in Africa. It was behind a wall, right? It was yeah. kind of a closed yard with the big gates. So I drove in there, go to the service service desk, and not looking for a path. And then we came back and someone had jumped the fence, got in the truck, so we lost that. Oh no. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. a bummer. Yeah, that was a bit of a bummer. And then I remember going to the hotel the same day and there was a big sign at the hotel. He said something like experience, go out at night, get stolen, experience, <laughs> or whatever. Some guy <laughs> yeah. had made like some sort of like, uh, apparently it was quite common over there. So, yeah. so we got we got to find out. I after. think it just keeps getting better there. They, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I think maybe there's been a lot of, there's a lot of improvement. Money. Yeah. That has yeah, a lot of money. Uh, yeah, but sure. but and, and honestly, it was, I mean, it was mostly our fault. Like we let our guards down. You no, know? and that's always when it happened, yeah. right? Yeah, that's always what happened to happened. me. Estonia, the only time I've ever been robbed. Okay. And I mean, I've had some attempted robberies otherwise, but yeah, the only time I've ever had vehicle broken into 
super nice, nice hotel, a, you know, right in yeah. Tallinn, which is the super beautiful city. And oh yeah, the cap, the cap, yeah, the capital? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's very cool. Very, people are very squared away, you know, on the Euro 24 hour security. Yeah. When you don't expect, when you, it's yeah, always right. when you least expect. Exactly. It. You can exactly. also break into a 70 series with a coat hanger. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. They just broke yeah. a window. They broke I, uh, a window. Yeah. I came to term with that story now, but for a long time, it was the most embarrassing time. Maybe I traveled is getting my wallet stolen in my land cruiser in Turkey on the, again, a toll road. So it was on those roads like, like they have in Europe that you, you put your credit card, you know, and then you go on the road and there's no exit. There's nothing. I went to there. It's almost like a jail. Like you, yeah. you can, you, all you can do is driving. So I was like, okay, this is like super nice. And, and then I saw those, this car broken down and I stopped to help them. And then the two women jumped in the, in the land cruiser and stole my wallet. Oh no. And then they had some guys waiting for them on the other side of the freeway. So they ran across the freeway and jumped in the car and then left. And then I had, and then I was stuck there with no more. I usually, I always have a fake wallet, but I was crossing in Turkey from actually from Syria. And that was the first time I saw ATM in quite a while. And so I had a bunch of cash and I had to, I had taken my proper wallet that I had left on the dash at that moment. Again, super bad timing. Yeah. And so I got stuck there on the freeway with no more cars and no more cash. Luckily I had just filled up the tank. So I had almost like a thousand kilometers of rent in the truck. <laughs> sure. So I just kept driving <laughs> for a long, and I, I made it close to Istanbul and then I had to exit at some point somewhere. And so I took the exit and then I explained, I tried to explain the, to the guy the best had happened because I couldn't pay for the toll. So the guy finally called one of his friends and then his friend picked me up in his car and then he took me to some village where they had a internet cafe and I had to call my mother and <laughs> had her transfer me some money on Western Union. <laughs> mom, yeah, I mom. need some money. <laughs> Man, yeah, that's so yeah. great. But those things happen. They really do. And you remember those things a lot more. Of course. Those adventures for sure. Those for are, sure you know, it's a lesson. It's Those are yeah. all lessons and they're also great memories for sure too. Yeah. So Yeah, and then next time you're more careful and you know. And, and again, maybe one last thing about one last lesson it's super safe everywhere it is it's crazy surprising I, I, you can go like Mexico is the best example I never had it yeah me either and there are some corners for sure I mean you don't go out at 2am in the morning and see that wires but you know as long as you're careful and you know what you're unless doing unless you're a long way up yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> we're gonna do a really bright bus yeah in we, we have a security concern so we're gonna try and get to Juarez at night <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. talked about this last night I did not understand the ending yeah so first half the awesome for, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then there was this bus and I'm like yeah. it was confusing it was what very it seemed like it took more time to make the bus than just, just to finish ride. the ride. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It must be some uh, side Who knows? Noise. Maybe they thought it was a good uh, story. Maybe a good show. Maybe something good for the show. I mean, yeah. taking a bus in itself sounds kind of fun. Yeah, totally. I've totally. done it, but thinking <laughs> yeah, about it. Totally. And then they bought such a bad bus, too, I know. that oh, yeah. so much work. Yeah, it's funny. Awesome. Well, Christian, thank you so much. Yeah. for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for all of your support throughout the years. Um, as we said in the beginning, for those of you who have enjoyed the Expedition Portal Forum and the Expedition Portal site, uh, Christian has been key to keeping that all running and all of the updates to WordPress and to the, you did the forum migration and all those other things. So beyond being such an amazing traveler and such a great friend for such a long time, you've also been so key to the success of this organization. So thanks for being on, man. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Scott and Matt, for having me on this podcast. It's no, this was fun. great. Super fun. It's been, yeah, it's been fun. Super so fun. hopefully we can do it again soon. We will. With COVID, you know, now the yeah. borders are reopening. So yeah, maybe we'll, we'll do it in Timbuktu when we all go I'm rescue, down. when we all go rescue the limo. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we can do the podcast inside the limo. <laughs> Perfect. Even better. All right. All right. On that note, thank you all for listening and we will talk to you next time.